Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi, Wiskaigan, on Treaty 6 territory. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This month, help us out by filling out a quick survey about yourself for the network. It's at albertapodcastnetwork.com slash survey. Fill it out before June 17th, 2019, and you can win one of three cash prizes of 100 bucks. That's like four months subscription to a genealogy website, or six tickets to one of our live shows, or one super old book. Go to albertapodcastnetwork.com slash survey. This episode, The Dredge Report. It starts on a rainy day downtown, where Alan Farrell and I huddled under an umbrella, hunting for the remains of a very important plaque that Alan remembers walking by. Uh, Hi, I'm Alan Farrell. I don't know what to say about myself. Uh, I moved to Edmonton for school like 18 years ago and just never left, so. (laughs) Um, What is your connection to Edmonton history? Just curiosity. I don't think my family has any history here at all. So, <laughs> do you consider yourself an enthusiast, uh, an avid enthusiast? Uh, 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 what you... I'm a reader of plaques, so I walk around the city and see at, like the Edmonton Historical Society plaques, and then I read them. Favorite plaques? Um, I kind of like the ones in Oliver that detail how it used to be like the domain of rich people until all the poor folks showed up, and they'll tell you all the historic uh, architectural details of this one house that's surrounded by apartment blocks. <laughs> Um, what do you what do you like about seeing that those kind of plaques? Um, it's well a little bit of like comeuppance because I imagine those rich people from 1905 probably wouldn't appreciate all the poor people now living in their backyard. But <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's a nice reminder that the city goes through different phases. Like it sometimes it seems like the way the city is now is the way it always was. The Edmonton Historical Board does sponsor this podcast, but I did not put Ellen up to saying that. Um, okay, so for a listener, um, just, can you please describe, Ellen, where we are? Uh, we're at the McDougal Hill Gallery, which is behind the Talus building, adjacent to the river. We're kind of, like, we're about a block away from the Hotel McDonald. We can see it from here. Yeah, it's this little random side street south of Jasper Ave that you kind of wouldn't know was here unless you came back here. We're, we're yeah. above the river. We have a, a beautiful view of the south side. And it used to have historic signs, or uh, these kind of light boxes that had pictures of historic Edmonton. Let's take a walk. Let's let's walk over to the, this particular one. <laughs> so, so here we are in front of a little concrete plinth. That used to be a sign. Yeah. You can see where there was something once mounted on top of it. And there's a little conduit where there used to be electricity, because I think they lit up at night. It's like it, it, they've kind of been filed off the little metal yeah. points where it attached. Where it's hard to imagine them replacing them, so it's not like they took them off for maintenance. Like they're, they're gone. <laughs> and there's a little that plaque over there does tell you what used to be here, so it's sort of like a memorial to the historical <laughs> plaques. <laughs> be my plaque, Ellen. Tell me what used to be here. Um, they were organized into a, like I think there's half a dozen of them, and they were organized into different themes like and like life in the river valley and the original settlers to edmonton and industry in the river valley and they had little pictures and then legends that went with the pictures so you'd see like black and white photos of the edmonton queen or something and this one was 
I don't remember. <laughs> oh no, no, sorry. The one that you, the one that you actually care about. What was that? I don't remember what that was, but there was one here that had a picture of. It kind of looked like a funky barge that was in the middle of the river, and the caption for it mentioned that it was for gold dredging, which is kind of random and out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> as far as I know, nobody actively mines gold in the city anymore. But apparently, that was in, in the right in the heart of Edmonton. They used to mine gold. A gold dredger, like not just someone sitting with a pan in the river, but actually, like real machinery. Yeah, anchored in the middle of the river, where they would have pulled in river sediments and then put it through sluice boxes, I imagine, or something. But like a big industrial thingamabob. <laughs> so this may be a shocker to listeners who have gone through the process I went through, where you grew up with Klondike days in Edmonton, thinking that there was a gold rush here. Then you were taught, no, no, the Klondike is in Yukon. There was no gold rush here, and that's why we renamed it K-Days. But no, no, actually, for real, people did mine gold here in the river for a while. I was always told Klondike days was because this was the start of the overland route to the Klondike. That's what I was taught too. Yeah, like the Klondike trail started here and that's why the Alaska Highway, they brought all the supplies into here first and everything. So I think I went too far with my mental overriding of, of, of thinking that there was gold here. I think I just skipped right from, hey, there was, there was a ton of gold here to all the gold was in the Yukon and, and forgot that, oh yeah, some people actually did make a little bit of a living off of gold. Yeah, and it's something I think in Fort Edmonton Park and stuff, they mentioned that people do pan for gold, but they basically just find flakes. So I had assumed prior to seeing the picture that there never was like a meaningful gold deposit here because otherwise there would be a gold mine in the city. Like there used to be coal mines and there still are, just not in the city, right? So it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> what is your question about this now missing plaque? Um, well, my big question is, where did the gold come from? Because we normally, when we think of a gold rush, we think of going to the mountains. And even if you're going to be panning for gold in a river, it's like a mountain stream somewhere. Not, We're pretty far away from the mountains. So does it actually wash down from the mountains? Or is it a leftover from when glaciers were here? Or was is the gold like a much older deposit and the river has eroded down to it? Like, it seems random. Um, because if it's something that was... In my mind, if it's something that was carried down from the mountains, presumably we would have gold mining further upstream still, even oh, if it yeah. wasn't in the city. Sort of like people don't actively mine for coal in the city because obvious reasons, but there are coal mines out of Genesee. Tell me more about the obvious reasons people don't mine for coal here. <laughs> well, I think there's environmental reasons, but there's also like undercutting the downtown of the city with mine shafts is probably a bad idea because you could imagine it collapsing. Right. <laughs> that, to me, that's the obvious reason. <laughs> okay, so geology curiosity. I love it. Go on. What else are you curious about? Well, it, it kind of like where I ended off led to my second question of why did it stop? Like if it was worthwhile to bring in all this industrial equipment, like not just panning for gold, but to like bring in an actual machine and, or build a machine here to do it, then that had to have taken money. It had like... If it was worthwhile to start doing it, why did they ever stop? The most frustrating thing about this plaque panel thing, according to Alan, was this one thread that it left dangling. He remembered a passage about this gold dredge burning down, but it didn't mention how it burned down or why they didn't rebuild it. 
So, Alan, what are what are the stakes? What's at stake in in this uh, journey? I, I, of course, I'm curious this season to learn more about like humans and nature shaping each other. I love that we have a geology direction to go for this. But um, what what about your life will change, um, if anything? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I guess it depends. Like, if at the end of this we find a secret stash of prospector gold, then I plan on retiring forever. And that'd be great. Um, otherwise, I guess I will just learn more about the city that I live in. Okay, there was one other thing that you said that really, uh, like, I, I loved when you said this. Tell me if tell me if I was overreading into what you said, but you said that finding out a little bit more about that dredge might make your walk along this street marginally less annoying. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when the signs were here, I was annoyed that they didn't go into any more detail about what it was or why it was here or anything. So at least like understanding the history behind the picture would be less annoying, but now that the picture's not here, I could just drift along in ignorance, so that's cool too. <laughs> okay, well, let's try to rescue, rescue you from drifting along in ignorance. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Hey, so you've heard me talk this season about one of our sponsors, Taproot Edmonton. Taproot is this local journalism initiative pumping out articles about burning questions that people have about our city, and also weekly roundup newsletters that are really speedy read about tons of stuff you care about, like local arts and the tech scene and what's happening at city council. And all of their stuff, including this podcast and the other Taproot podcasts, speaking municipally, it's all available for free because they want your eyeballs to be able to reach it, which is what I love about the podcasting medium, to be honest but it's not free to make. And I love this thing that John Hodgman said once on his show. He said, if you like a thing and you want it to continue, support it and support it in the manner that the creator tells you is most helpful. If this podcast and any of those great roundups or articles are something that you want to continue, here's me telling you what's most helpful. Sign up to become a Taproot member. It's just 10 bucks a month. And thank you. So, our first stop was the city archives. Their main collection has been out of commission since last year because of renovations. But you can still get access to all the photos in the reading room, including, possibly, photos of gold dredges. You're doing an interview? Sorry, Alan, uh, Catherine, yeah. Catherine Hill. Hi. Do you know who at Heritage from the city would know what happened to the plaques or like more about the writing of them? Which plaques? There's uh, like thousands of plaques in the city. McDonald Drive's oh, okay. plaque about the gold dredger. Thing. Yes. Okay, yes. Mm. McDougal Drive. McDonald Drive? McDougal Drive. Oh, McDonald Drive. McDonald Drive. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's like the McDougal Lookout or something like that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that is uh, that was the Heritage Planners in the 1990s did something called the Heritage Trail, which stretches from um, the convention center basically down to the legislature. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of interpretive sites along there where plaques are put. So those were more what we call interpretive panels, um, and they worked with us in that period. So between us and the Glenbow in Calgary and the uh, provincial archives, we 
generated lots of photographs and some interpretive information about things that happened in the River Valley. So they were all aimed at different neighborhoods in the River Valley and activities in the River Valley. So yes, they have been taken down because they were severely damaged. We've rewritten the plaques and relocated um, images to illustrate that. And the text has been written and approved, I think. It's just a matter of finding the funding to actually put the, oh. recreate the panels and put them back up again. Is that why the plinths are still there? The, the plinths are still there because we're going to be using them. But it'll be a much more modern, sleek design than the other one. They kind of looked like amoeba escaping yeah. from a, a laboratory. <laughs> now they'll be much more like the panels that are in um, Sir Winston Churchill Square around the outside. I, for context for a listener, we literally just ran into Catherine in the lobby of the archives, <laughs> the city archivist. <laughs> yes, uh, Catherine, the city archivist. Catherine Ivany. Um, uh, so I guess like we came here to look for a photo that might match what he saw on that old panel. But sure. um, it, do you I know? Think it is one of our, yeah, we have. Two, I think we have two pictures of two different dredgers. Plus, there's um, some pictures of the grizzly, uh, which is a land-based thing that you shake up and down and run water through and to find gold. So yeah, if you look under gold panning or gold dredging in the photo thing, you can find some. I will also try and find a book that will give you more information about that. I will be out in a few minutes. Oh, boss. Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> okay. OK, have you ever gone through your photos here? So it's kind of card catalog style. It's um, by subject. So um, yeah, let's go into G for gold. Why not? This is really a one-person job. I will record you as you as you pull it out. Gold bar. Gold dredge. Gold diggers. Potato harvest. How nice. <laughs> Down. We can match that to the photo in the other shelves. Catherine came back to give us a hand. Come on over here. Yeah, 10, 13, 40, 61. Uh, and that looks like a house on the river. And I think that's probably the, the most detailed one of a gold dredge. So you can see there's an office here. Um, you yeah. can see the workings where the water is. So the water will be pumped up by this machine here and then mm -hmm. sluiced down this long trail. And the idea is that um, it's like a river itself in that mm -hmm. it's carrying a load because um, they just scoop it up from the bottom and run it down there. And the water runs off and the little gold pellets or the um, what was called placer gold, so this gold dust, mm -hmm. will settle to the bottom. And then they just, all they had to do at the end of that, once they've run that load through, is they'll scrape everything off the bottom and then do a little bit more finer um, placer gold mining. Um, well, they take a smaller thing and shake it through the water, and then the, the dust will actually float to the top when the when the water settled, because it is actually lighter than the silt. Oh, wild! And then they just scoop off the scum at the top of the water, and that's what that's gold, right? And then they can take it and and melt it down into a little nugget. Oh, that's cool. And have it assayed and get their money. Okay, I have a question about dredging. When I picture dredging, I'm picturing like deep sea fish trawling where they just rip up like everything at the bottom. Is that what was happening? Yeah, so essentially they'll have a shovel 
um, attached to this, or as they move down the, um, they'll actually move the, the dredge, it'll float mm -hmm. down the river and drag, and then they'll lift up what they've dragged off the bottom, dump it into the top, and then start slushing it down with water. So it's, it basically goes back into the river, but hopefully the gold stays behind. What about all the sturgeon and the sturgeon eggs? <laughs> well, to say it's a fairly small area that they're dredging at a particular time, right? But uh, nowadays we do it just from the sandbars that get left behind, so it doesn't impact fish. Okay. Um, but this would be from the middle of the of the river. This wasn't wholesale, like they weren't doing like bank to bank up and down the whole course of. No, no. Let's say that there was one or two dredges over the period um, when they were working in the river. They basically stopped after the Second World War. You just gave me a lot of relief. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and they probably, like, the, 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 the eggs would have been laid at the side of the river, not in the deep bed. Like, like it would have been in the more shallower parts. So the, That's also a relief. How do you know this about sturgeon? <laughs> I don't know. That's not the way salmon do it, too. They don't, they don't do it in deep water. I guess, yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um... I, I'm, I'm interested to go through these photos and see what you have in the book. But yeah, there's, a, there's actually a couple of paragraphs of, in, of uh, explanation about the dredging. Okay, let's see. Let's okay. let's figure it out what what so um, Alan book Sheets book on Riverdale. Alan Sheets book on Riverdale. Um, let's Riverdale from Fraser Flats to Edmonton Oasis. This is the same font as the um, Kentingley's Cloverdale yes. book. Yes. <laughs> Probably same publisher. Thanks. We're in the Steamboats, Midnight Dances, and Gold Fever chapter. Um, do you just want to like read out some passages of interest? Alan Schrute's History of the Riverdale Neighborhood, which is this place down by the floodplain along by the legislature, talks about the early days of panning for gold in the mid-1800s. Uh, another familiar sight on the river, particularly in the 1890s, were scows laden with machinery to dredge her bottom for gold. Since it was furs, not gold, which brought the Hudson's Bay Company to Edmonton, the much sought-after metal was initially ignored by those who came to settle or trade in the region. Prospectors going to and from the gold fields of British Columbia did not, or did stop, in Edmonton. <laughs> Sometime in 1858-59, to 59, a man by the name of Dr. Hector may have been the first to take gold from the North Saskatchewan River. In 1860, two men who were just passing through, A. Perry, and Thomas Clover decided to remain in Edmonton and search for gold amidst the sand and gravel of the river. To, today the names Clover Bar and Cloverdale commemorate the areas where Tom Clover sought his fortune. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It seems like for a while there, folks were finding quite a bit of gold in the North Saskatchewan River. At first those who came did well enough. The Edmonton Bulletin remarked in 1895 that those who had mined the river in the 1860s averaged about $15 per day for their efforts. Over the next 30 years, however, this amount declined steadily. At present, declared the Edmonton District Directory of 1895, uh, good miners make from $2 to $5 a day, but many tender feet, as the newcomers are called, often have to content themselves with 65 cents to a dollar. Despite this low return, there were two to 300 men working the rivers from 80 miles above Edmonton to 200 miles below. I had no idea I went on that far. Wow. <laughs> Those who sought to mine the river on a commercial scale faced a tremendous financial outlay and were often rewarded with little success. By 1885, five attempts to mine the gold by means of various kinds of pumping devices had ended in failure. In that year, James Levy, determined to succeed at finding the right machine to do the job, uh, went to Chicago to see what that celebrated burg could do in the matter. 
Impressed by what he found, Levy purchased two Nye vacuum pumps along with an eight horsepower boiler to furnish the steam and then had them shipped to Edmonton. When the machinery arrived late in the fall, it was placed on the ice, which had already covered the river, and tested. Performing beautifully, the pumps did all that was expected of them. Whoa, they were doing this in winter on the ice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the scow on which the new pumps were placed was of substantial proportions, measuring 80 by 20 feet. Holy crap. <laughs> That's like the size of a riverboat. Or maybe not, but close. Yeah. Like... I thought these things were much smaller, but they're like bigger than a house. Um, the improved technology eventually made the dredges a worthwhile investment. In 1898, when gold fever gripped the whole region, Northwest Mounted Police Superintendent A.H. Griesbaugh reported that there were 12 dredges of various construction on the river. These dredges, with one or two exceptions, have made good pay, but it is impossible to give any figures as regards the quantities taken out by them, as each dredge owner claimed that he has a Klondike in his machine, and they all were very reticent about giving any figures, but it is sufficient to say they are all going to work again next spring with improved machinery, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, the gold dredges were gone from the river in Edmonton by 1907. The remains of one, reported to have been submerged during the 1915 flood, was, according to Amos Skinner, dismantled and used for firewood by many unemployed Riverdale residents during the depression of the 1930s. Oh, wow. <laughs> Occasionally, those who persevere are rewarded with small fines, just enough to inspire others to keep trying. Uh, and then it goes on to dredging sand um, <laughs> for construction projects. <laughs> huh. So one other thing that I found for um, context for this, um, I, can, I can pull it up on my tablet too, is there's an article by the or on the Alberta Historic Resources website, and just uh, like a two-part blog post series about gold mining in Edmonton, which mentions that around the time you were looking at um, 1897, that was when people started advertising the gold rush in the Yukon. So yeah. it's possible that they, if the dredge you were looking at burned down in 1897, they didn't rebuild it because that company just went up north instead. Yeah. I like that this guy went to Chicago to look for better equipment and yeah. found it. Yeah. <laughs> and Chicago's just arbitrarily, like he didn't go there apparently with any particular company in mind. He just went to see what that celebrated Berg could do in the matter. Um, okay. So um, we've pulled out some photos of gold dredgers and, and there's one in this book, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting the sense that this is asking you to go through like a, a lineup of... Um, yeah, like, police lineup. <laughs> I don't remember the one I looked at exactly. I do remember thinking, like, at first glance, it looks like a barge or a riverboat or something. And then when I read the caption, I was, was surprised to find that it's like a piece of industrial equipment mining the river. And these do kind of look like half-built riverboats. But all the workings of this one are inside the house. Hmm. So it looks like just a big shovel, like a front-end loader-style shovel sticking out of someone's old barn that they've attached to a barge and launched into the river. <laughs> I mean, you can see why I was curious about these weird pictures, right? Yes. No one tells you what they are. Like, what on earth kind of steampunk alternate history is happening here? <laughs> Which photo hurt you, Alan? Um, pretty sure it's this one. The one on the riverbank that doesn't look like a house. The one that looks least like a, like a gold dredge, basically. <laughs> 
pretty sure this photo hurt me. <laughs> By not explaining why it wasn't rebuilt after it was apparently burned down. I'm pretty sure that's what the text said, was that it, it was so-and-so's gold dredge and it burnt down at a given date and that was it. And that's the end of the story. And it was both the first time I'd heard of gold dredging on the river and then left all these open questions <laughs> about like, was it the only one? <laughs> like maybe some random person tried this, it failed. When, hence, when it burned down, they didn't build a new one. <laughs> but apparently not. There were dozens of them. <laughs> Back in a minute with some geology and some answers about the photo that hurt Alan. Spoiler alert, that photo he just picked out was entirely innocent. Let's Find Out is brought to you in part by the Edmonton Public Library, which, by the way, offers way more services than you might think. Like, I was in a Shawn Mendes phase last year, but I didn't know if it was worth buying his albums, so I downloaded his latest album using an app called Hoopla, and all I had to do was log in with my library card. I renewed it once. It was pretty good. And also, the library has a summer reading club for adults now. Stop by any Edmonton Public Library location between June 22nd and August 24th to get your activity sheet to track your reading, and you can win some amazing prizes. Visit epl.ca slash summer hyphen reads for all the information. Let's Find Out is also brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation, makers of the other show that I'm working on these days, the Well Endowed Podcast. Lots of the stories kind of tie back to the impact of the endowment funds that the Edmonton Community Foundation gives out. But lots of stories are also just big picture things affecting our city. Stories about cannabis legalization and arts funding and history. I've been doing Alberta history stories for the Well Endowed podcast, of course, and I'm really pumped about the next one that's about to come out. It's about a guy we all should know more about who stood up to segregation in a Calgary theater 100 years ago, Charles Daniels. Watch out for that one. On the Well Endowed podcast, download it on your app of choice and check out the show notes and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. We're back. So after we left the archives, Alan emailed me and said he found an old Google Maps photo of the interpretive panels we were talking about. And the picture on the panel was actually one of those houseboat looking gold dredges. I think there's a lesson in how most of us are probably terrible eyewitnesses if we have to reach this far back. I forwarded the picture to Catherine Ivany and she actually found the full text of the panel. It talks about tons of industries in the River Valley, ice companies, coal mining, flour mills, and of course, gold dredging. But it uh, doesn't say anything about a barge fire, or any kind of fire. She said there was a fire at John Walter's coal mine in 1907, and that mine never reopened, but uh, there was nothing about that fire on the panel. Classic. Meanwhile, my producer Trevor and I were off looking for a geologist. I feel like we reached out to every geologist working for a museum, university, or government in Edmonton, and had no luck. And then I remembered that one of those two blog posts I'd read about the Edmonton gold rush mentioned some research done in 1990 looking into this question. It cited an academic article that the blogger Michael Donnelly had published a couple years ago. I was at McEwen University that day and I saw they had online access to the journal, so I figured I'd use my little uh, Alberta library card to try out journal access to McEwen for a change. It was a nightmare. The librarian I talked to sort of warned me. She said they used to have pretty open access to online journals until their computers got some kind of online STI. And she led me to one of two terminals you have to use now, neither of which allow you to log into any other programs besides a web browser, and also don't allow you to go into any websites besides the ones connected to their library, including, like, email. But I found the article. And when I got to the part about that study back in 1990 that looked into where the gold in the North Saskatchewan River comes from, it didn't really have an academic reference. 
or anything published that it pointed to. It just had quotes from Roger Morton, a University of Alberta geology professor, who said it was something one of his students had researched in 1990. But that name, Roger Morton, was the key. I found his phone number online, gave it a ring, and reached a lovely woman named Joran, who said he'd just passed away in February. She was his wife. She very kindly took the time to give me the name of one of Roger's old students in town, though. Hello. Which is how Alan and I ended up in the offices of a geological consulting company downtown. So Catherine Ivany emailed us, and uh, your picture was <laughs> not, not, not quite as you remembered. No, I think um, if you looked at that sign with all the other pictures, there were other pictures of barges in the river, and I think that's maybe what got me confused. Because the one that, the gold dredge picture that they actually used is the one that kind of least looks like a gold dredge. It looks sort of like... I mean, especially since they cropped it, it looks like just a house. Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe why I was like, hmm, this one? But no. <laughs> Not at all. So. so our big mystery of like why it burned down, it, we, we've solved it by discovering that it didn't burn down. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a cautionary tale in our ability to confabulate, like with our memories and stuff. That, um, it was a different mine entirely that burned down. It wasn't a gold dredge at all. It was a coal mine that burnt down and then never got rebuilt. So that was really funny to read that <laughs> exchange. <laughs> You're like, oh, I must have read these two facts and just stuck them together in my head. <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, and here we are in the very cool lobby of uh, a geology firm, Darouge Geological Consulting. Um, this is a very cool lobby. It's very pretty. Very shiny. It has this cool glass case full of like minerals and assaying equipment from the olden days. Are you gonna go look at the rocks? Yeah. I wanna look with you. You wanna tell me what you're looking at? Rocks. <laughs> uh, most of them don't have labels, so I don't know. Hi, are you Jody? I am. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Alan, nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Jody Deruge. I operate Deruge Geological here in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I graduated from geology in 1988 from the University of Alberta and have practiced my trade ever since. Uh, we, we conduct mineral exploration for a variety of minerals, diamonds, gold, uh, lithium, which is used in um, the electric, uh, electric cars, things like Batteries. cobalt, battery, battery minerals, rare earths. Uh, and we conduct exploration worldwide. We've worked in China, Korea, uh, Africa, South America, Europe. We've done some projects uh, for a variety of commodities. Um, I became a geologist because my dad used to build winter roads when I was a kid up in the Arctic. In the, he, he'd build winter roads to Great Bear Lake and through the Nahanni Valley to different lead zinc silver mines. And I remember this uh, when I was like three, four years old, this stranger would come home with this big beard and all these fantastic stories about gold and silver and all the different things he'd see. And at that point, I became uh, captivated, you know. Would you mind telling us about your wall of rocks here? Well, this this is just a subset of what we have. Uh, most of what we have is at home, but a lot of these minerals we collected ourselves for different projects we've worked on for clients over the years, or some of them, of course, we've purchased from third-party mineral collectors. Why is that an of course? 
But, well, because, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get that to look that good. That we're looking at, what is this like? This, this is called apatite, so it's a phosphate mineral. And that's in sort of a quartzite background. Mm -hmm. And they actually, you know, a mineral collector has to go and chip out the apatite crystals so that you can observe them. And then use sonic waves to clean it off so it looks pretty like this. Uh, normally, if you just looked at it, it might look something more like that background wall, right? Like just sort of a wall of many things mushed together? Yeah, whereas this you're highlighting the very specific appetite crystals. It's like a pink chunk with these beautiful green rods coming through it. Yes, yeah. Cool. They, they look really gemmy. Like this, um, you could really see the elongate crystal structure and it looks like gemstones, actually. What is the best hidden secret in this wall? The best hidden secret? Well, there's lots of hidden secrets. What's my favorite? I, I like this. This is Canyon Diablo Troilite. That's a meteorite. Um, it looks it, lumpy. It's lumpy. It's nickel iron. It impacted into Arizona, Arizona, and it's called Canyon Diablo, the place it impacted. And the best hidden secret is it's four and a half billion years old. You'll never touch anything older. Whoa. Yeah. When you say... You'll never touch. Does that mean before we leave here, we might get to touch this? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Alan, would you like to? You're not going to break it, trust me. <laughs> it survived flying across the universe to smash into Earth. It'll survive you touching it. Very cool. I think if nobody told you it was a meteorite, you'd think it was just another lump of metal, like yeah. something you would find at a smelter or something. Something man-made, exactly. Yeah. All right, I'm going to put this back. Yeah, go ahead. Janelle, would you be able to grab another chair for my office? Maybe Glenda's? Yes. Thanks. Yeah, it's a string of magnets. Uh. I, so when we had this, when we moved in here, we had this wall painted. There's a, uh, iron filings behind here in the paint. Oh, yeah. And then these are rare earth magnets and fairly strong, and so we can hang maps right on the walls without putting pins in. I can't believe you have iron filings in your paint. Yeah. Oh, that's great. These are, I'll just show you some of the things I've done. This is, I'm working in East Africa. That's in Eritrea. That's actually, we were working in a war zone. Geologists will go anywhere, anytime. Upon reflection afterwards, maybe I should have asked more about the war zones? Anyway, we told him about Alan's quest to find out where the gold comes from. No, no one knows entirely for sure, but what the gold in the North Saskatchewan River uh, that we see today is flower gold, extremely fine grain. So it's very difficult to recover. Um, I myself, I go down there once in a while, pan just for fun, and you see some very fine flakes of gold in it, and you, you know, success, I found gold, but it's worth like two cents. But then where did that gold come from and why? Because it's always, it's all extremely fine grain. And a lot of the thought is that it's coming from the glacial tills. So up until about 18,000 years ago, there was over a kilometer of ice sitting on Edmonton. And that ice originated in the Northwest Territories and that ice or maybe northern Saskatchewan or other parts of Canada and it pushed southwards. And as you push southwards, it scraped huge volumes of rock. And that, and that rock was spread out in things called tills, moraines, and it was dropped on Alberta. And in the process, it changed the landscape. So there's hidden river valleys, like if you go out in Villeneuve and see the gravel pits there, uh, there's hidden river valleys that were much older than 18,000 years that they themselves accumulated, accumulated large amounts of gold in them. 
And so those are crossed by the modern day North Saskatchewan River, which has changed its course. When, so once the glaciers receded and left this area, a new North Saskatchewan River comes through, but a different course, not necessarily the same course, because of course, um, history was reset by this glacial period. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so the tills themselves contain gold very fine grain gold that was scraped off of maybe gold deposits in, from Yellowknife, for instance. The Conan and Giant mines in Yellowknife have produced over 13 million ounces of gold from the 1940s till today. I, I believe the mines are currently shut down, but other companies are again looking in the area for more gold. So there's gold mines, there's gold deposits that we don't know about all across the north. This gold's been scraped south and the, the heavy minerals get deposited at the bottom. And so the heavy minerals drop out in the North Saskatchewan River, the sands and gravels get pushed away, the gold accumulates, and hence the dredges come in and try to pick that gold up because it's, it's a little bit, con the best place, to, the most concentrated place is the North Saskatchewan River. Whoa, that is not what I expected you to say at all. And uh, uh, Can I tell you why I didn't expect you to say that? Okay. Because um, the route that I got to finding you was through... Um, there's an article in uh, Alberta History Journal like two years ago um, talking generally about gold mining and gold dredging in Edmonton. Um, and it um, talks about uh, Roger Morton, who taught geology. Dr. Roger Morton, yes. Um, who taught geology at the U of A. Um, he was my professor. And it mentioned that he um, had a student who had looked into this question in around 1990 and had concluded that the gold was coming from something that was included in quartz from the Cambrian era from like 500 million years ago. And then I tried to contact Roger. I learned that he'd passed away. And yeah, that, just but, recently, unfortunately. Yeah, I, which was very sad to hear. I, but So I spoke to his widow and she mentioned, she connected me to you. So I, I just thought you would tell me the exact same thing that I read in that paper. So one of the first people to study this was Dr. Laurie Hoffertel. Um, who had worked for the Alberta Geologic Survey. He was Alberta-based, and he had collected samples, heavy mineral samples and concentrates from all the rivers in Alberta, trying to answer that same question. And then Dr. Roger Morton had a student named Don B, who now lives, I believe he lives in Beijing, uh, who collected similar samples, and he himself tried to collect, uh, ascertain the source of these gold, these gold grains. Um, I believe there was another student of Rogers uh, named Robert Shaw, who now lives in Kelowna, uh, who had done his thesis on a gold deposit that is partly in Hamber Provincial Park. It might extend into Jasper National Park on the BC side of the border mm -hmm. that is extremely high grade, but of course you can't go into the park and collect rocks. So, um, but that may be the, that certainly might be the source of some gold in Alberta. There's going to be multiple sources. It's not going to be just one source. Uh, but the fact that it's extremely fine-grained tells you it likely traveled great distances. And it broke down and wore down and became smaller and smaller and smaller as time went on. Do you have a guess as to why that paper... Why, like, it, the, the paper that I read, it quoted Roger. It didn't like cite a specific scientific paper or anything. Um, do you know why he would have maybe gone with that? theory of, of where the gold was coming from? So in the Cretaceous, which is roughly 65 million years ago, the Rocky Mountains started to uplift. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the gold occurrences in British Columbia 
may have started shedding, as the Rockies are uplifting, shedding gold into formations and rock units in Alberta. So you're getting accumulations of gold from BC washing into Alberta as the Rockies come up, just like the North Saskatchewan, Athabasca, and the rivers are now coming off, off the... Uh, off the Rockies, and a lot of the formations uh, that we're sitting on are roughly that Cretaceous age, 65 million years of, of, of age. So that's presumably what his paper would have been about, hmm. is the gold is coming from within those rock units themselves, which in turn came from BC when they were formed. Hmm. But to you, the, the size of the grains, it makes more sense to think of it as probably being transported by glaciers. Well, yeah. in both cases, the size of the grain indicates fairly large transport okay. or fairly distant transport. You know, when you go into Yukon, you watch Gold Rush Alaska. Have you you've seen it? In I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> is this a show? Yeah, there's a, there's a television show. It's going on several several seasons now. And what it does is it follows a number of gold miners in the Yukon, and they have fairly fine grain gold occurrences. But every once in a while, they get these big nuggets, mm. and the reason you get the nuggets is because it's not far traveled from the original source. Is it possible that both of these are a little bit true for the source of the gold here? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Every, there's a lot of different theories as to where it came from, but I, I don't think any one theory rules out the other. Okay. Alberta is a big place and the North Saskatchewan is a pretty long river. So, huh. yeah. You had a theoretical um, old dude gold panning in mind that you were going to bring some facts to the next time you see someone panning by the river. What are you going to tell them now? I was, yeah, I was going to bring up that people used to industrially mine gold in the river. But like, before I had seen that picture of the, the gold dredge, the only other time you generally hear about gold in Edmonton is someone will bring it up in Fort Edmonton that you can pan for gold in the river, and that's kind of it. And then, so... Like, what started my whole question was, I assumed that there was never enough gold in the river to justify doing anything. Yeah, if it was a money-losing prospect, then presumably the guy, the first guy who built a gold dredge would have, would never have made anything of it, and that would have been the end of the, the whole affair, right? And it lasted for decades, so it had to, they had to have made something. One last thing. Just to reiterate, what I find so cool about this thought of where did the gold in the river come from is just the fact that it makes me realize how much we're connected to specific events that happened so long ago. Glaciers scraping southward, mountains uplifting in the Rockies. We sometimes act like we float above nature, but I think this is a good example of how much the history of this land shapes where we choose to live and work and dredge. Thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. Sign up for a newsletter to hear about new episodes, live events, recipes, and updates on the book club this season. We're reading a book every month that ties into some of these big ideas about humans and nature. On Thursday, May 30th, we're meeting up to talk about naming nature by Carol K. Sukyun. And in June, we'll be reading Dream Work by Mary Oliver. Thank you to Alan Farrell, Catherine Ivany, and Jody DeRouge. Thanks also to Joran Morton and Kyla Tichkowski for research help. And to Taproot Edmonton and the Edmonton Historical Board. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast. 
and especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the sincerely lovely human being, Doug Hoyer, who has a new album out called Character Witness. All right, that's it for this episode. Until next time, keep your questions coming. You just promised me a random fact about the chemistry of gold. Oh. <laughs> um, if you divide gold finely enough until it's like molecularly small, like so-called colloidal dispersion, it's purple. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I, what? <laughs> like if you made a gold mist? Like in solution, in water or something like that. So. Huh. Have you made this? No, I just, it's a chemistry fact. So, I mean, gold's expensive. They don't normally let students screw around with it that much. <laughs> <laughs>